Today on Focal Point with Pastor Mike Fabares. We need to call for a repentance that lasts. We're coming to people and we're asking them to follow Christ. Your old life is gone. You've burned the ships, to use that old analogy. I'm not turning back. Jesus was telling the disciples there's going to come a time in the last days when people are going to be scurrying out of the city. To be faithful to the Lord, they're going to leave the city and they're not supposed to turn back. Don't you love those store samples where you get to try a small taste of some goodie? And perhaps you've known people who treated Christianity like a sample. They tried, but decided they didn't want to buy the whole thing. Welcome to Focal Point. Today, Pastor Mike Fabares explains that we need to call people to a repentance that lasts, because there's no halfway commitment to Christ. I'm Dave Drury. Today we're in Acts chapter 8, and now here's Pastor Mike with the conclusion of a message called, Calling People to Repentance. Verse 12, Acts chapter 8, verse 12. When they believed Philip, as he preached the good news, that's good news, it's great forgiveness, I want that. They were baptized, both men and women, which of course we see throughout the Gospels and throughout Acts as this expression of repentance. Repentance and baptism, right? It's the baptism of repentance, it's called. And the idea here is that all these people had to do what Christ said, because Christ is the name, the authority the one in charge. And there's a kingdom, and the kingdom I'm now stepping into as I get into the circle. Of course, I don't have Christ come into my life. My life comes into his kingdom. So he's already on the throne, and I'm stepping into this thing. That's where the track is just just categorically wrong, right? I'm bringing my life into his kingdom, and there's no place for me to scoop my buns on his throne. You understand? He's already there. And I now need to do what the king says. See, that's what repentance looks like. It always looks like that. And the other side of the coin is if you're supposed to get off the throne of your life and now step into the kingdom of God, well, then you're supposed to obey the king. Number two, that's what we're calling for, a repentance that obeys. Call for repentance that obeys. That is what this is about. You want both sides of it in a verse? How about this one? 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 15. 2 Corinthians 5, 15. The whole point of this is that we would no longer live for ourselves, which we're all programmed to do, and we no longer live for ourselves, but now we live for him who died for us and rose again. Now I have a whole different perspective. And all these people who say, I want to be a Christian, want the benefits of that, if they see Christ is merging into their lives to help them have a wonderful plan, they miss the idea of what it is to come to the end of my road and say, now I lay it all down, my life is on the altar, I am all in, what do you want me to do? And we all watch because they live in a bubble, but we watch the celebrities of our day make their commitments to Christ, whether it's Bieber or Kanye or whatever it is, we go, wow, let's see what happens. Please understand that we all have the same struggles But we have to realize that the whole point of this is saying, I'm no longer living for myself. That's what it means to deny myself, take up my cross. Now, here's the positive. Follow me, right? Live for him who died for me and rose again. Now, I got to say, if I open my Bible and it says Christians should be baptized, and the word baptism means to be submerged, and it happens after I become a disciple, then I need to be baptized in water after I become a Christian. I've never done that. I guess I got to sign up to do that. That comes with the authority of God 
as a command in my life. Keep reading in my Bible. That's the dangerous thing. And I come to another verse. And it says in Galatians 6, 6, that if I'm part of a church and I'm taught by that church, as Paul said in, in, in 1 Corinthians, well, then I'm supposed to support that church financially. Let him who is taught share all good things with his teacher. The one who invests spiritually in your life, you're supposed to now have them reap material from you. Oh, I don't want them to be a Joel Olstein. Don't worry. Your giving's probably not going to make me Joel Olstein. I don't think you have that giving capacity. But let me tell you this. It's commanded of God. And you open it up and you say, well, that, I became a Christian, so I got to do that. I mean, think of these. It's so easy for us to give a pass to celebrities. And, well, it's really hard for them to change their whole schedule and not forsake the assembling themselves together. Or, you know, they're going to be such a distraction if they go to a church and just get involved in a small group. I mean, I mean Kanye and my small group, I can't, that's not going to work. Listen, I don't care if it doesn't work for you. I don't care if you have a million excuses. I don't care if you're every Sunday, every weekend, you're, you're traveling to the Bahamas because you're, I don't know, the most important person doing concerts all over the world. You better not forsake the assembling yourselves together because all the rules apply to all of us in the kingdom. There's one king, and your repentance is no longer living for myself, but living for him. Now, you get through the doorway, the very first act of obedience needs to be baptism. I'm being baptized in water as an expression here of my repentance. And then we go back to whatever we might be doing and say, now I have to live for Christ in this area. Unless, of course, it's immoral or illegal, I have to live in this thing, whether I'm a rock star, a movie actor, or whether I'm an accountant. I got to do the things that God has asked me to do. You've repented of your sins. You've obediently been baptized in water as an expression of that. Now live in the context of your career and do it right. Live by God's rules. Soldiers. Verse 14. They said, what shall we do? John said to them, he said to them, do not extort money from anyone by threats or false accusations. Now that, that's, again, one of the great advantages of having a sword and a badge back there in the first century is that you could do that, right? You want a free meal, you walk in, you're the law, man. You, you, you can extort. You can intimidate. You can pull people over and say, well, you know, pad my pocket here and I'll let you go. That's what you could do, but you weren't supposed to do that. And so you repent of doing that. You used to do that. And you're always looking for a way to make a buck using the power that was invested in you by the Roman government. But he says, don't do it. Matter of fact, be content with your wages. Funny how many of these are financially connected, isn't it? Go back up to verse 10. The crowds in general, to get more broad in this, to start at the beginning of what he's saying, crowd said, what shall we do? And he said, hey, whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none. Think about that. There are people in this church that have four cars. Oh man, don't start talking about my cars. I got a reason for every one of those cars. I don't care if you have four cars, but there may be someone in your small group that's got no car. There may even be a couple in your small group that only got one car and they're driving each other to work every day. And I'm just saying this, the Bible says, these are the ramifications of you obeying Christ, not just by the things you can't do, extorting money, skimming off the top, but the things you must do, which is to exercise the love of God in practical ways. How can the love of God exist in you if you, seeing someone, a brother in need, you have the material possessions to meet that need and you don't do it? How can the love of God exist in you? I guess you haven't repented, is the whole message of 1 John. To quote that particular passage in the middle of chapter 3 of 1 John. Got two tunics, share with him who has none. I really, I saved a lot of money to get that second tunic. It's a great having a backup tunic when my one tunic's in the dry cleaner. It's great to have that other tunic. How about food? Got too much food? See if someone doesn't have enough food? Do likewise. 
Repentance has to be lived out in your life. And nothing, whether it's love for money or your fear of being ashamed or I don't want to talk in front of people or I don't want my hair wet in front of people, whatever your fear is, you say all of that was already decided the minute I repented because I denied myself and took up my cross. My desires, my aspirations, my definition of wonderful life, I cashed it in for Christ who's on the throne and there's no varsity Christianity. There's only one kind of Christianity. Whoa, I don't know about that. I see a lot of talk about discipleship and every time I'm talking about discipleship in the Bible, it seems like the, the requirements are really high. Like Luke 14 talks about disciple. If anyone be my disciple, he must renounce all that he has. Verse 33, well, that seems like second tier Christianity. You do understand there was no first tier Christianity because when you read back into the text, well, there's normal Christianity, then there's discipleship. You understand the word Christian was a pejorative term used against the Christians. It's only used three times in the New Testament. They called themselves disciples. If you were part of the forgiven band of people, if you were a participant, a recipient of the good news of forgiveness and grace, you were a disciple. A lot of ways the church has tried to talk out of the hard edges of repentance and obedience. Can't put your toe in the water here. Which, by the way, don't you hate that when you have you know, a pool party, you really want to swim, and people all line up along the edge of the pool, put their feet in, and think they're in the pool? I want to swim, right? And that's what church is for a lot of people. They're all lined up with their feet dangling in there. They got their lemonade. They're chit-chatting. It's all cool. We're in the pool. No, you're not in the pool. You got to be all in in this thing. Repentance is all in. And it results in you being obedient. Here's a passage for it. We have no time for it. Acts chapter 26, verse 20. I mean, such a classic text, but put so well. Paul looks back at his ministry and he said, I told people everywhere in Judea, all the Gentiles, Acts 26, 20, repent and turn to God performing deeds in keeping with repentance. All right, back to our text. Acts chapter 8. You know where this goes. Simon ends up having the wrong heart before God. But here it says, even Simon himself believed. And after being baptized, he continued with Philip. Now that looks good. Like, oh, he's continuing with Philip. He's continuing with Philip with the wrong motives. And seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. Even he was amazed. Now, all that's great. But we know it's not going to last. As a matter of fact, we know what happens is, though you couldn't tell, and everyone was saying, even Simon became a Christian. That's awesome. That's so awesome. Did you hear that? It was in the Christian post, man. He became a Christian. It was awesome. So glad. Brother. Now I'm all for handing out my right hand and saying, Welcome to the family if you've put your trust in Christ and repented of your sins. But I don't know where that's going to go, especially if I don't get very clear that this is not a temporary thing with mixed motive. This is not something you're trying to engage in some kind of transaction with God where, you know what, I'll try that and see how that goes and see if it really pays off, if the plan is as wonderful as I thought it would be. I'll give it a try. Put it this way, number three, you need to call for a repentance that lasts. We're coming to people and we're asking them to follow Christ. Your old life is gone. You've burned the ships, to use that old analogy, that historical analogy, right? Burn the ship, not going back. I'm not turning back. <laughs> when I was a kid, I've told you this before, some bulletin passing out deacon says, oh, Michael, do you know any Bible verses? Yeah, Jesus, Jesus wept. <laughs> Snarky little kid. 
And if anyone ever called me on that, well, it's the shortest verse in the book, just give me, give, me a, give me another verse. I had a backup, by the way. <laughs> Jesus wept, shortest verse in the Bible. I also had the second shortest verse in the Bible ready to go. Okay? Jesus said it. It's, here's how it reads in English. Remember Lot's wife. <laughs> Remember Lot's wife. Jesus was telling the disciples there's going to come a time in the last days when people are going to be scurrying out of the city. To be faithful to the Lord, they're going to leave the city and they're not supposed to turn back. And he goes back into the Old Testament story and simply drops three words on the remember Lot's wife. Second shortest verse in the Bible. It would be good for you to memorize that. Can you memorize that today? Remember Lot's wife. By the way, the best sermon I've ever read J.C. Ryle, 100 years ago, remember Lot's wife. Such a great sermon. We cannot turn back. We're not asking people to come to follow Christ and give it a try. Speaking of famous people, I think it was because of Kanye's finding Jesus that Brad Pitt was interviewed in some magazine, and in the article he's talking about Kanye's Christianity, and he says, yeah, been there, done that. Listen to how he put it. I wrote it down. He said, I, Brad, A-list Hollywood star. I grew up Christian. Even like that, right? I grew up Christian. Like, you know, Democrat or Republican. I grew up Christian. It worked at times, Mr. Pitt says. I tried spiritual things, but eventually it didn't feel right. Yeah, good for Kanye. Brad says, yeah, been there, tried that. I was a kid, there was a campaign here in Southern California. It was on the billboards that said, try God. And it had a phone number. Try God. Maybe that was Pitt's generation. I tried it. Thank you. Thanks. Didn't work out. Wasn't feeling it after a while. I just think one of the most wrongheaded evangelistic efforts ever was to tell people to try God. Like switching toothpaste. Just try, try it. You might like it. I don't know what it costs to get your kids married these days. Well, I kind of do, but I, I, I tried not to add it up at the end. But let's say you are the father of the bride. You've spent all this cash. You've got finally your daughter up there, and here's your future son-in-law, and the pastor's up there going on and on about all this stuff, and finally gets to the part, do you take this woman to be your lawful leader? I'd have and hold until death do you part. Okay, all that's coming out of his mouth. And your future son-in-law says this, ah, I'll give it a try. I think <laughs> it'll be the talk of the reception. Well, actually, I think you may try to cancel the reception and get a little bit of your money back at that point. It's like, I'll give it a try. I didn't give my daughter's hand in marriage to give it a try. No, no, no. This is called a covenant, a commitment. You're turning and this is your wife, right? That's the idea. And you're not calling your neighbors to something that's not going to humiliate them in their sin, denying themselves and enthroning Christ as they step into his kingdom as the name, the authority of, above all things. And then it's not something like Simon the Magician where, hey, if this doesn't work out, Mr. Celebrity, eh, if I can't get out of it what I want, I, try, I love Pitt's line, it worked at times. Oh, did it work for you? Did it? Was that good? Had a few good seasons with Christ. What are you talking about? This is the king of kings. 
Are you insane? Right? And again, I blame the evangelists in part who send them this envelope that says, hey, here's Christianity, and they open and go, yeah, give, give God a try. Okay, I'll try that. You bow the knee to Christ because you're a sinner in need of salvation, and Christ has come to die in your place after living in your place, and you repent. A repentance that humbles you, a repentance that calls you to obedience, a repentance that lasts. Go to Hebrews 6 real quick. Last, well, almost the last passage I'll turn you to. So let's look at a couple of passages in Hebrews real quick. Hebrews chapter 6. I guess a little context would be good here. Verse 7, right? The land, here's the illustration of us, that has drunk the rain that often falls on it. Right? Here are all these good sermons they were receiving, these first century Hebrew Christians, and they had all this stuff that was going to, if it produces a crop that is useful to those for the sake it was cultivated, which by the way is not your sake, not your sake, you're not bearing fruit for yourself, you're bearing fruit to God, right? And, and if, if your life, please, which may end in martyrdom, I mean, you never know, the wonderful plan is for him, his plan, not yours, all works together for good, for his good, his plan, not your plan necessarily, and if it produces a great, receives a blessing from God. That's good. That's called Christianity. But if it bears thorns and thistles, it's worthless and near to being cursed, and in the end it is to be burned. Jesus told those stories so often about the fact that there's going to be these seeds of the gospel planted in a field, and you're going to have good soil and bad soil and rocky soil and, and soil that's not going to work out, thorns and all that. And, but he, these two stories are told back to back. The four soils in the next parable Jesus tells, it's recorded in the gospels, is the weeds and, and the wheat. And they're going to grow up, and at first it's not going to be easy to see. Matter of fact, it may last throughout the whole lifetime that you don't know who's who. But at one, one day, God's going to separate sheep from the goats. There's going to be a distinction between the wheat and, and the weeds. But what we can't have in the previous illustration is you can't have the rocky soil or the thorny soil spring up with joy, receiving the word and bearing fruit, and then all of a sudden hard times come and they bail out. The, one, the wonderful plan wasn't as wonderful as I'd hoped. And so they bail. That's not good. Real Christianity bears a crop that's useful for those for whose sake it was cultivated, which in this case is God's. Now we may speak in this way, verse 9, yet in your case, beloved, we love you, we feel secure of better things. Right? We don't think that's going to be the case for you. Things that belong to salvation. Well, there's a key. If it's salvation, real salvation, if you really have saving faith, if you really have a repentant, penitent, saving faith, well then, that's not going to happen. Matter of fact, God's going to be so good to you, not unjust to overlook your work, the love you've shown for his name and continue to, it's a great thing. We see the evident fruit of your life in serving each other. Even if you have two tunics, you give one away. I, it's great. Verse 11, and we desire each one of you show the same earnestness, you work hard, to have the full assurance of hope. How long? Till the end. So that you may not be, I love this word, sluggish, lazy, but imitators of those who through faith and patience, man, they hung in there, they inherit the promises. Look at that verse 11 again. Full assurance of hope until the end. The full assurance of hope until the end. Scroll up, if you would, to chapter 3 real quick. Chapter 3, look at verse 14. Verse 14, for we have come to share in Christ. You have salvation I mean, that's a perfect tense. You have salvation. If, indeed, we hold our original confidence firm to the end. The reason Brad Pitt, I can share the gospel with him today and say you have not been there and done that. You think you have, but you haven't. You think you tried Christianity, but you haven't. 
Because there's no trying Christianity. Real repentance that is salvation where you have come to share in Christ. You thought you shared in Christ and then you walked away from it. If you've come to share in Christ, well, then you hold that confidence firm to the end. So whatever you had, it wasn't real Christianity. For we've come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. I got to read it wrong so you understand what it's not saying. Right? Verse 14. We will come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. Is that what it says? No, it's not we get to earn this if you hang in there. It's if you have it, you'll hang in there. Well, what if I don't hang in there? Then you didn't have it. Go back up in this passage. Verse six, Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. Great, I wanna be in that. Great, I wanna be a part of that house. We are his house if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope that we know we're Christians. Guess what? A lot of people aren't boasting in the hope of Christianity anymore. They think they've been there and done that. That's why they won't listen to you when you start talking about Christianity. All I'm going to say is when you start talking about Christ to your friends and neighbors, say, wait a minute, I know you think you've been there and done that, but let's just see if there was any beef in that burger when you were dealing with it last time. Because there's something called self-denial, crucifixion, dying to yourself, becoming a slave of Christ. Now, did someone produce that Christianity to you? Or was it praying some prayer, walking some aisle, getting a better life if Christ was in it? I'll bet the latter in most people's cases. Bring them the real gospel, repentance that lasts. The title of this series is Gospel Advance, right? We're trying to advance the gospel because that's our commission. And one day, God's not going to say, hey, did you read it? Now, that'll be important. But it'll be, did you pass it on? Let's share it this week, please with me. God, give us the boldness, the courage that gets us off of our knees and into a life of obedience, as imperfect as that may be. But we're committed to doing what the King says, and then it's a commitment that lasts the rest of my life. There's no going back. There's no turning back like Lot's wife. We're moving forward. No turning back. God, let us not only live that out, let us pass that message on to those around us this week. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You're listening to Focal Point, and we're in the middle of a month-long series from Pastor Mike Fabares called Gospel Advance. This was the conclusion of a powerful message titled, Calling People to Repentance. Now, if you want to hear this entire uncut message, then simply go to our website, focalpointradio.org. Well, you heard today, there's no such thing as a halfway commitment to Christ. And Pastor Mike also pointed out that in Scripture, so often our commitment is revealed by our willingness to give financially. So this year, consider joining our team and dedicating a portion of your finances to advancing the gospel by becoming a Focal Point Partner. Now, this is a select group of supporters who pledge a monthly gift, and we rely on their generosity and stability to expand the reach of God's Word. Won't you step up and join us this year? It's easy to set up your monthly gift of any amount and become a Focal Point Partner today when you call 888-320-5885. That's 888-320-5885. Or you can get started online at focalpointradio.org. Or if you prefer, you can send your donation by mail and let us know that you want to become a Focal Point Partner when you write to us at Focal Point, Post Office Box 2850. Laguna Hills, California, 92654. And thank you for partnering with us.
But if you're still looking into this whole Christianity thing, we'd like to hear from you, too. When you get in touch, we'll gladly send you a helpful booklet titled 100 Prophecies Fulfilled by Jesus. I think you'll be amazed to discover the 100% accuracy of Bible prophecy and why you can confidently put your trust in God's Word. So request your copy when you get in touch at focalpointradio.org. Well, I'm your host, Dave Drewy, inviting you to join us tomorrow to hear Pastor Mike Fabares present a new message all about the challenges of discipleship. He's not going to sugarcoat the fact that there are tough times ahead, but these challenges are no surprise to God, and you can be prepared. So listen Tuesday to hear a helpful and practical message on Focal Point. Pastor Mike here. Ever wish you could corner your pastor and challenge him with your toughest questions about the Bible, about faith? Well, now you can. Send me your questions. Head on over to focalpointradio.org and click on Ask Pastor Mike. Or send me a note on facebook.com slash pastormike or twitter.com slash pastormike. I can't wait to hear from you. Today's program was produced and sponsored by Focal Point Ministries.